Welcome to an Agency Story Podcast, where we share real stories of marketing agency owners from around the world. From the excitement of starting up, the first big sale, passion, doubt, fear, freedom, and the emotional roller coaster of growth. Hear it all on an Agency Story Podcast. An Agency Story Podcast is hosted by Russell Dupree, successful agency owner with an eight-figure exit turned business coach. Enjoy the next Agency Story. Welcome to an Agency Story Podcast. I'm your host, Russell. On this episode, we have Ian Lowe, owner of L-Form Design, a design and development firm specializing in building robust web applications and integrations based out of Montclair, New Jersey. Ian has founded his career on the belief that effective communication, along with data-driven conclusions, can even sway the most skeptical CEOs and presidents of multi-million dollar companies. You'll also love how Ian went rogue in his local BNI chapter to get his business off the ground. This story highlights the many benefits of taking advantage of a particular vertical, utilizing sales coaching, and the constant but subtle art of self-improvement. Enjoy the story. Welcome to the show today, everyone. I have Ian Lowe with L-Form Design with us here today. Thank you so much for being on the show, Ian. Russell, thanks for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Hey, the pleasure is all mine. If you don't mind, get us started. Tell us what L-Form Design does and who you do it for. We are builders of custom web solutions for primarily manufacturers who are in the B2B space. We also provide web hosting and SEO for manufacturers. Short, simple, sweet. Love it. Want to hear certainly more about what you created today. But before we get back, what was a young Ian doing with his life? Are you where you thought you might end have ended up if we go back in time? It's funny that you mentioned that. I was thinking about this the other day. My aunt was a graphic designer and she was one of the first people I knew had a Macintosh. Threw me in front of her 21-inch black and white monitor because that's what they had back in the day and allowed me to futz around on Illustrator 88 and I was hooked. I, I thought it was magic. And she was in this next town over and my grandmother was an art teacher for many years. So I always had a love of the visual arts. My father, I remember him trucking me. I was in Northern New Jersey growing up and he used to take us into the city and go to museums. And so one thing led to another. I will say this though, I do distinctly remember we had an agency owner come to our high school. I was in an art honors society. Basically, I was in advanced art and I was that kid who raised his hand and asked, so how much do you make a year? And the art teacher got so insulted with me and said, how could you ask such a question? Because I was curious. I was like, all right, if I want to go into the arts, can you make a living doing it? That's um, a fair question for a kid to ask. Unfortunately, they did not answer the question. Ah. <laughs> yeah. And then fast forward a little bit, my se- senior year, I applied to Rhode Island School of Design, RISD. That was a reach. I applied to Carnegie Mellon School of Design. I applied to a couple safeties and I actually got into both my reaches. I was ecstatic. I couldn't believe it. I ended up going to Carnegie Mellon, had some amazing cohorts and crime there. Christian Schwartz, who's an amazing type designer now, world known. I had Dino Sanchez, who's a furniture designer, also has an amazing career now. Matt Tregesser, who does animate. So I was surrounded by very gifted people in the school. I went to school for communication design, ended up discovering something called industrial design. I didn't know that was even a thing, that people had to design products. I fell in love with that. Quite the curated path here. Exposed to the arts, had so many people that 
it sounds like they helped you on that journey and then obviously went to a good school and got to rub elbows with some amazing folks in the design field. So graduate and then what are you doing? I ended up getting a job with 212 Associates, their signage firm. I don't even know if they're still around. I got the position unknowingly. I was doing spreadsheets. I thought I was going to do physical designs of signage. Turns out on my father's birthday, he comes into the city. We go to his favorite Italian restaurant and I tell my father I got fired. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> that was two months or three months at that job. Turns out that I didn't like doing spreadsheets. But then it was during the dot-com boom. So that was 99, 2000. I ended up interviewing with ToysRUs.com. They were looking for in-house people. They asked if I could do HTML coding. I said, sure. They asked if I could do Photoshop. I said, sure. They said, you had the job. Those were the amazing days of the dot-coms. Ultimately, I thought I was going to stay in industrial design or some type of three-dimensional design capabilities. But because of circumstances, I ended up switching gears. They were paying. I was a young kid. It sounded cool to me. They were based in Jersey so I could drive. I loved it. That was fast-paced. It was total kind of startup environment. After that, they were bought up by Amazon. Unfortunately, I was let go. And then I went to work for a small agency. I still kept ties with people at Toys R Us. And one individual, Dan, was starting his own like Accenture, meaning consulting firm. And he had brought me on. Wasn't happy working for him, but it started to get the gears turning. This young guy left Toys R Us, started his own company. Maybe I could do this. I'd been doing freelance. And that's why I tell a lot of young entrepreneurs, get your feet dirty, get your hands dirty, get in there, get out there, do some freelance work. Birds and Midnight Oil. And that's what I was doing. I was doing websites, business cards, you name it from 10 p.m. at night to one in the morning and then get to work. And when you're young, you have endless amounts of energy. After Dan hired me, he said, go to a networking group on my behalf. I'm sure a lot of people know of BNI. I went to the BNI chapter and right then and there, this was 2005, I stood up, gave my 30-second elevator pitch for my own freelance company instead of for Dan's company. (laughs) (laughs) That's like an on-the-fly moment right there. At what point did you decide, like 30 seconds before you had to get up there and and speak? It was literally a split-second decision. I, I said to myself, you're hustling, you're trying to get work for Dan's company on your behalf. Ian, you can do this. I had a small mortgage. I had $2,000 in my pocket and that was it. I said, to heck with this. And it worked. I had always been interested in manufacturing because my father was a manufacturer. Some of my freelance clients were manufacturers. It was a lot of manufacturing in Jersey, if people are unaware of that. For instance, I reached out to my good buddy, Mike, whose father owned Ronald Mark Associates. They do plastics and all sorts of different products within utilizing plastics. I told him right away. I said, hey, I'm starting my own company. I know I've been freelancing. He threw a whole bunch of work my way. He was like, oh my God, you're going off on your own. You do great work. Your pricing's right. Yeah, here, do X, Y, and Z. All of a sudden, I doubled my salary in one year. It was unbelievable. Now, did I have to work 12-hour days, six days a week? Yeah, but I loved it because I was like, oh my God, this is my own thing. I'm doing it. It felt so gratifying. I've heard a lot of origin stories at this point. You definitely win the award of created the agency most on the fly, it seems like. That sounds like an amazing story. You set out on your own. And what did that look like initially? Were you excited? Were you running on adrenaline? Or were you like, oh crap, what did I do? Totally running on adrenaline. I didn't regret any minute of it. But I was such a noob. I didn't even understand that people won't pay their invoices. That was a foreign concept to me. I started to create a spreadsheet of, okay, these are my receivables. All of a sudden, I had to learn about QuickBooks and bookkeeping and selling. This was, again, I was a production guy. I was the guy designing the websites because this is back in the day before there were even such a thing as temp 
plates. I was designing the websites, doing the front end coding, and, and it was scary. That part, yeah. running the business was extremely scary. So I started to reach out to people. And one of my first advisors was Ken Grossman. Essentially, he taught me how to use QuickBooks properly. He was a, like an ex-CPA turned consultant. I used him for 10 years. He saw the growth of my company, you know, like from 120K a year to every year, 20%, 30% growth. It was unbelievable. It was, again, adrenaline and good old grit. What was your secret sauce? That's some pretty good initial growth going from a second to where you got it. Beyond the adrenaline, what do you think was working for you? Caring about the work, caring about the customers. My pricing back in the day was quite inexpensive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know if some of your listeners know what Adobe Flash is, but I did a whole animated Flash website for $1,500. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like hours upon hours of work. Did I learn? Yeah. And so what I knew was that you have to undersell or underprice your items to get the work, but you can use that work to catapult yourself. I always believed you had to charge for the work. You have people coming to you, oh, you can do our website for free and then I'll be a great reference for you. No, don't do that. But what I did do was one website would allow me to gain other clients because clients want to see, oh, you've done stuff for plastics. I'm a plastics manufacturer. I deal with plastics. Great. RMA allowed me to get hall manufacturing. Hall manufacturing doesn't exist anymore, but they were bought up by a huge conglomerate. But my point being is one piece of work led to more additional work when I could raise my price every, it's like steps. Every step allowed me to gain more. And yeah, it's hard. They call it work because it's work. (laughs) (laughs) It makes me think of, and I I don't know how this relates to you, but that was probably one of the biggest lessons I feel like I learned over the business career is there's no such thing as easy money. It's all built on either an investment you made, or as you said, blood, sweat, tears, and work. I don't know if you found that in your own journey. Absolutely. And the other component is people have to like you. They have to feel comfortable, secure. You have to be able to shoot the, you know what, with them. You have to be personable. And if you're not, that's one thing that I learned. So I did hire a sales coach, Artie Rinsler, when I was around year three or four, I believe. I didn't understand that as my pricing increased, my sales tactics and processes needed to also become better. Because selling a $3,000, $5,000 website back in the mid-2000s wasn't that hard. Now I'm selling $50,000 websites plus minimum. And that's hard. And I didn't understand to get to that next level. I did standard training. I had multiple sales coaches and have learned a lot. Great point. It's easy to win on price, but the the more you up that game, then that's a great takeaway. It sounds like you made a heavy investment in that process. And did that all pan out for you? I know people have had some good luck and bad luck hiring coaches and different things like that. The answer is absolutely. I think where people fail is that they don't institute what you've learned from your coaches. And every chance I had, I would make it a point of practicing what I learned. That's what one of my coaches, Danny Wood, had said to me was, wow, Ian, you actually listen and then institute everything that I'm telling you to do. I think a lot of people think that consultants are going to be the magic sauce, but it's up to you to make those decisions and then utilize them. There you go. What a great takeaway from someone that's been on that side of the house. At some point, did you start out with a manufacturing focus? I know your background was industrial design. When did that become your focus? When I first started, I honestly took everybody and everything. I had done realtors. I did a couple of business cards for them. I did trifold brochures for a couple of nonprofits. In fact, a lot of nonprofits, the word got out in my area that I was doing great 
work. And so we ended up doing a lot of nonprofit work. Ultimately, I doubled down during the pandemic. So it wasn't until 2020 that I decided my marketing, my messaging on my website is going to be We Help Manufacture. It took a giant leap of truly a, a, a belief that we could make it, we could be specific in helping manufacturing. Where I learned this was from Blair Ends. Maybe your listeners have listened to Two Bob's podcast. I had actually attended one of Blair Ends' sales seminars in Chicago pre-pandemic. He said, generalists will die a slow death in the agency world. And if you cater to a specific industry or vertical, you're going to prosper. During the age of AI now that we're in, I think that holds muster. Uh, and I'm seeing it. I'm having a lot more manufacturers come knocking on my door in 2021, 22, and absolutely this year. So it's paid dividends. It's been worth it. The two Bobs, I do listen to that myself. A big fan of Blair Ann's and David Baker both. I think they've both got a lot of great content out there that I think is very helpful for agencies. So if you are not, in fact, listening to two Bobs, it's worth checking it out there, folks. How has that thought process and, and that kind of focus impacted your agency, maybe on a more specific level? Uh, sounds like I'm sure it's been a great boon for sales, but maybe even more so on the delivery side. How has that been helpful for you? I think it's been great because a lot of the work that we've done in the past, we can look back at the data and make smarter decisions for our clients because we see the same patterns over and over again. So we're able to advise them appropriately and then convince them that this is a better decision. Now, you'll always have the CEO and presidents of multi-million dollar manufacturing companies thinking that they know better than us professionals, but ultimately, more often than not, they do listen to us because we're able to show the data to support our conclusions or the directions that we want to go. Where are you at today? What are you excited about in the agency today? What's keeping you up at night? I'm excited and I'm also being kept at night about AI. And ultimately, I am reading a lot about it. We're instituting it. Everybody's using ChatGPT. It makes sense. But we're also using other tools like Surfer SEO, which is also incorporating AI. I think language modeling is going to take off. I think it's going to make our lives easier. I think smaller agencies like myself are going to prosper because we can get so much more done. I'm afraid, honestly, of my current staff being fearful that they're going to lose their jobs due to AI. I want to continually wrestle. They're not going anywhere. I think ultimately, though, and I've told this to my staff, is that we need to be more service-oriented or hand-holding, and then the production will rely more on AI, and that's okay. I know my staff has the ability to talk to our clients with care and understanding and also be able to interpret what they're asking for. So ultimately, we can be more efficient, which is a great thing. There's nothing wrong with that. Again, I think people's fears are fear of the unknown, right? Yeah. I had conversations some of this on, on a couple other episodes. And I think back to, we were probably similar time frame when we were starting our agency. I had so much fear back then of a Wix or those things that were starting to come online in terms of DIY web building and, and stuff like that. And, and it certainly gives a little easier access to the DIY folks, but it doesn't take away from the, a lot of those things you mentioned, the experience, the strategy, the guidance, the expertise that ultimately it doesn't seem 
like AI is going to replace anytime soon. I think all this AI fear is generated from Terminator. <laughs> I think we'd have so much less fear of AI or iRobot and Terminator. And I'm sure there's probably a couple other ones out there that I'm not thinking of, but I don't know. I agree. I think the media, definitely entertainment, has skewed our perception of AI. Look, we're not there at artificial intelligence. We might be there one day, but I don't think anytime soon. Ultimately, AI is another tool. It's like Photoshop. I distinctly remember in high school, my graphic design teacher, because I took a year of graphic design and how he was talking about how, oh, now you can do everything in Quark. But in the good old days, you have to cut it out and lay out by hand and use the Photostat. It's the same yeah. difference, right? Back in the day, everything was done by hand. But then all of a sudden you had the digital pre-press revolution and everything was done on a computer. And nowadays it's going to it's going to be the same thing. It's going to yeah. speed up production. Yeah, absolutely. Good thoughts there, sir. When, and when you're looking at the future, what are you trying to create? What's the big goal with the business? Ultimately, I'd like to grow it. There's a few direct competitors in my space. And I think there's enough fish in the sea that we can all play nicely. I would like to get the word out that we are specialists in web design, web development. I don't plan on increasing my services. What I do see happening is I do see niching down within manufacturing. One of my friendly competitors, they specialize in helping manufacturers of home products, specifically building. I was like, that's genius. They do windows, wood, flooring, B2B sales within that arena. I was like, that's genius. I haven't figured out what my niche within manufacturing is yet. I think that's going to happen organically, but I want over the next few years to figure out what that's going to be and then hire appropriately to serve our clients better in order to gain more value. I did have a larger agency at one time and having big payroll scares me. Right. Maybe it's an unfounded fear, but ultimately I do want to grow in a specific market share. Does that make sense? Makes great sense. I love the thought process. Can you come down to some real basics there? Get more value, double down further on your target market, become more well-known in, in a smaller group. It sounds like great recipes for success. Once you do find that path and where that goes, love to hear about it. We'll have to have you back on the podcast and hear the next phase of L form and how that's worked out for you. Fascinating conversation. Wish we could have two hour long episodes, although listeners probably don't want two hour long episodes. But my last big question for you, Ian, are entrepreneurs born or are they made? They're made. They're not born. No way. Confidently yeah. says made. Tell us why. Ultimately, it's your life. Each day influences your future goals. I think if it wasn't for having an ant in graphic design, if it wasn't for going to a college where I could experience industrial design versus communication design, if it wasn't for living in a state where there's a ton of manufacturing, I don't think I would be where I am. Now, obviously, you have to make choices in your day-to-day -day life. And if you hadn't been sent to a networking meeting to <laughs> on someone else's behalf and made a split-second <laughs> totally. decision to... That one, I'm not going to forget. That, that was a great one. Amazing stuff. If people want to know more about Lform, where can they go? Lform.com. L-F-O-R-N.com. I know a while all four-letter domains got bought up and I got to imagine, I don't know, are, are all five-letter yeah. domains bought in the world now at this point? Man, man, there's a good backstory to my name too. Back in 99, I, I knew I wanted to start freelancing. My last name's Low, so I wanted L Design. It's a more of a vanity thing. And it was taken. So I reached out to my friend who's now a lawyer and I was like, I'm looking for synonyms for like design and I want, I want a short domain name. And he was like, you're industrial designer. You're also a graphic designer. Design, how about forming stuff, making stuff? I was like, that works, Alex. All right, let's go with L4. All 
right. That kind of has a nice ring to it. That was my branding yeah. exercise right there. <laughs> I love it. I'm so glad you brought that up. I, gosh, time's about up here, but thank you so much for being on the show today, Ian. It was an absolute pleasure to get to hear all your nuggets of wisdom and your learning process and everything you've gone through to get to where you're at today. Appreciate you taking the time to share it. Absolutely, Russell. Thank you again so much for having me. It was a lot of fun. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of an Agency Story podcast, where we share real stories of marketing agency owners from around the world. Are you interested in being a guest on the show? Send an email to podcast at performancefaction.com. An Agency Story is brought to you by Performance Faction. Performance Faction offers services to help agency owners grow their business to $5 million and more in revenue. To learn more, visit Performance Faction.com. I remember dealing with a client. This was actually previous to starting Elform, and the client hated circles and refused to have any circles in her brochure that we were working on at the agency. I, I thought I had heard everything, but that was a first. Sounds like might need to be some therapy there to go and cover why they hated <laughs> circles. I've heard hating a lot of things, but a shape, I don't know that I've necessarily heard hating a shape. Shit. <laughs> You know, I've come across some interesting clients throughout my day. There was another one where I made the button too big and she stormed out of our agency like in a huff. Wow. Okay. <laughs> some people are a little bit kooky. Entrepreneurs, let's be honest, definitely are unique individuals at times. Yeah, you're not wrong about that.